Okay, you can turn in your Bibles, if you will, over to Romans chapter 3. When we started the book of Romans here, I'm reminding us that Paul's a Pharisee. In sidewalk terms, he's a lawyer. The son of a lawyer, the son of a lawyer. Now, the law they contemplated and defended and promoted and taught was God's law, but... Well, Leona, what you doing over there all by yourself? Bless her heart and isolation. Look for conclusions when you see their words like therefore. Stop and ask what it's there for. Because he's building a case. He's not playing around. This is not, this is not the letter to Philemon. Not that he's playing around there, but that's a very personal. No, he's building a case here. You gotta pay attention. So Romans 3 9 is mine says what then shall we what shall we conclude then maybe yours says well well what then okay that's a tip right there that's a tip right there he's drawing a conclusion everything he said from 118 to 39 right here that's a section 118 to 38 really is a section. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge from 118 to, to 39. He's been making this charge. He's fixing to tell you here real simply what he's been saying. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike conclude What's the conclusion, Paul? Here it is. Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm sure that just tickled the Jews. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. That's a very interesting thing. That's his charge. He started building this. He got through the introduction in 117 when he said the gospel is a revelation of righteousness that's from God and it's available to man from faith unto faith. It begins in your faith. It is accessed by your faith. It carries through your faith. It promotes your faith. This is a perpetual motion machine and it's charged by God. Don't quit faith. Don't give up faith. I need more. No, you don't. You just need to go in what you have. How are you going to go in somebody else's faith? You can't. Our faith impacts each other, but I can't approach somebody with Bill's faith. I can't live my life with Bill's faith. I've got to have faith. It's everybody's choice. Okay? So, not to get too sidetracked there, but Jews and Gentiles. There's two groups of people here that he has addressed in from 118 to 39. What two groups of people? Jews and Gentiles. Guess who that covers on the planet? Everybody. Absolutely everybody. Everybody. And so it's having this context that I'm going to tell you, 118 to 32, it appears to me that's... For the Gentiles, and it's to the Gentiles that he 
This is 118 to 32 is about Gentiles. They were left with what they had. What the Gentiles had was, what did they have? They had knowledge of God. Go back up there to about verse 20. For what may be known about God. Did the Gentiles know anything about God? Mm -hmm. What may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain literally in them. So that all men are without what? No, you don't understand how far we live from Sinai. We never heard about the, we never heard anything about God. We didn't know there was anything called scripture. We never saw a prophet. You don't understand. We've just been living over here on this desert island by ourselves. We don't know anything about God. Really? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Psalm 19, the first four verses just articulate that. Guess what's talking to everybody who lives on this planet all the time? The creation. The heavens declare his glory. The sky is the work of his hands and his handiwork. And there is not a language that they do not speak. No, they heard this. They heard this loud and clear. This this creation in which we live, somebody did it and it wasn't you. And whoever did it evidently is upset. Because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God? No, they understand. There's something wrong. They didn't create this place. There's something wrong. Whoever created it evidently is divine in nature and eternal in power. They ain't no getting around it. And so they are without excuse, without excuse, to do what? What should they have been doing? What do they, what do all men do? Yes, they do too. No, they bow down to and they glorify something. They do too. Me and Mo were having a long discussion this morning after lunch and everything. And we're talking about that very thing. No, everybody worships something. Everybody exalts something. Financial security, physical health, whatever. I don't care. You're exalting something and bowing down to it and trying to approach it as though that were the answer. Everybody does that. And whether they get together in large groups and have formal services or not, I don't know. But most of them do that, too. What are they trying to do? Fix things that they can't fix. So, this this is important. A bunch of the things I'm going to give you seem like right now they're not important. When we get about nine legs deep into this argument, all this stuff is going to come back. and We're going to want to know that we are able to remember it. Okay? What we're going to look at tonight is 2, 1 to 16. Here's another section. And if I'm right, and if he is outlining the failure of Gentiles, the, and, and not just the failure of Gentiles, the failure of man's knowledge. Man can know, you can look at the stars and figure out 
There's a God. You ought to be searching how to find him and how to how to please him. That's what you ought to be doing. They're without excuse of seeking God and knowing that there is to a God. Okay. This next section, 217, I mean 21 to 16. We'll just read it. 21 to 16. You therefore, you see all all this all this knowledge when they didn't give God credit and they didn't give him thanks and they didn't choose to seek him and try to worship him, that just led to a snowball going down a hill with with the cravings of man and it just fueled itself and it just there's a horrible list there. Uh, and yet Paul writes all this to the church. And there's no way to tell you how much my heart is racing. All of this is bad news. Deborah asked me last night or this morning, earlier sometime, are we doing more black cloth today? Mm -hmm. This is still the black cloth. Paul wrote it to the church. You don't skip it. You don't skip the black cloth. Okay? You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. Is the world full of people doing that? You who pass judgment on someone else, at whatever point you judge the other, in reality, you are condemning yourself. Why? Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Is anybody in this world preaching? All the time. All the time. You know? Tolerance. That's being preached today. People are forming groups and they're for tolerance. I want to join the club. Okay, good. Tell us about you. Well, I'm intolerant of some things. You can't join the club. Well, I thought you were tolerant. Mm, it's one thing I don't tolerate is intolerance. Okay, then you're not tolerant. Are you tolerant or not? Make up your mind. Men keep preaching foolishness and it doesn't work. Mm-mm, doesn't work. You who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's righteous judgment, God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. There's a judge and it's not you. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, they don't practice what they preach. Do you do you think you will escape God's judgment? Is that what God has set us down here for? Is this the is this our purpose is to pass judgment on other people? Why is everybody judging me? What are we doing? And I told you when we first started, you gotta realize he's not describing the church. And the first part, until he gets to 321, he's not describing the church. In the introduction, he does a little bit. But right here, from 118 to 3-9, he's not describing the church. But he did too write it to the church. Do you know Christians can fall prey to ideas and teachings that are not Christian? Is it Christian for us to pass judgment on other people? 
Do we make discernments? Uh-huh. What did he say in the Sermon of the Mount? Do, do not judge lest you be judged. And then, in context, told them to do what? Make four judgments. Figure out what's sacred and what's not. Figure out who's a dog and who's not. Figure out what's a pearl and what's not. And figure out who's a pig and who's not. Because don't give pearls to pigs and don't cast what's sacred to dogs. So he didn't, he's not talking about discernment. What's he talking about? Condemnation. Now I've seen, I've seen Christians get caught up in this. Why? Because all Christians happen to be, guess what? Sinners. Now that's not our standing, but that happens. We're wrestling against ourselves here, aren't we? He writes this to the church. When, when I, as a Christian, find it my duty to not come here and worship God, but to start a program that points to every group in town that, that proclaims to worship God, and all I do is condemn what they do that's wrong. For instance, we're trying to worship God. You're up here banging away on a piano. Tell you right now, God's not pleased with that. It's not in the book. Well, it's not in the book. But I better watch it, huh? There's just this need of our flesh to put others down and exalt ourselves. Now, I don't approve what God doesn't approve. He's not talking about me looking into the Word and being able to make a discernment. He's talking about, don't you try to fix your problem by damning everybody else. Don't do that. Don't do that morally. This is, this, this 2 1 to 16 is his argument against being a moralist. I'm all for being moral. Practicing good moral habits. That's a good thing. I'm for it. God's for it. God's moral is the God's standard is our system of morality. Good. But when you take it and twist it around and you're going to accomplish that on your own, then you got to sit down. So, do you, uh, now we know God's rasmate against those who do such things is based on truth. Now he's talking I know this is confusing. Maybe it's not confusing. That's incomplete. That's an incorrect statement. I know I may be confusing. I'm sorry. I apologize. There's a difference from a Christian going, oh, my goodness. You know what? I've been I've been condemning Paul over here because he's doing he's doing such and such. And yet the same God that told him not to do that told me to be gentle and understanding as I live with my wife. And I'm not being gentle and understanding toward my wife. What am I trying to do? Am I pointing out where he missed the mark to take off of where I've missed the mark? Paul said, I built a case here and it's from God and it's everybody missed the mark. Okay, so. Um, 
So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Why don't you quit being harsh with other people and why don't you accept God's salvation and plan and nature which allows you to be treated with kindness by him and then you could show kindness to other people in their misinformation and in their ignorance. You might help somebody. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, that's the, that's the determining figure right there for am, am I going down a road of being a moralist here? When you convict a moralist that he's doing something wrong, he doesn't repent. He doesn't repent. He just points out Deborah's sin. And goes on the list of all the things that he does right. When somebody points out something, brothers and sisters, to us that we fail to do or we can't seem to get around to doing, the best thing to do is just listen. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I went to church yesterday twice. Being a jerk over here in the phone store, but I went, what are we? You didn't even go to church. You just over here trying to take all my money to give me this phone. I'm... Over here being belligerent with my wife. Well, what are we? The gospel calls us out of all this. This is all human stuff. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Uh-oh. Hmm. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Not for everybody. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That's interesting. That's how that was the order of the gospel. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Well, if you're first in line, you're first in line. Interesting. Uh, but for those who are, uh, oh, sorry. I gotta pay attention. It's, I'm in the dark right here is the thing. Uh, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. He's making that point. That's his concluding point right there. There's no favoritism. There's no favoritism. Righteousness is demanded for Jews and for Gentiles. Jews didn't accomplish righteousness on their own. Gentiles didn't accomplish righteousness on their own. I think if 118 to 32 appeals to the Gentile failing and 21 to 16 
kind of appeals to everybody's failing. You don't think there's Gentile moralists? Look at the statues they carve out of these guys. They're perfect physical specimens. Well, they... I mean, they think a lot. They come up with some cool stuff. Doesn't matter. Doesn't answer the problem. Okay, verse 12. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. We don't understand, Paul, that the Gentiles, we just... You know, we didn't have the law of Moses. We're no, 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 it doesn't matter. For it is not those who hear the law who are declared righteous in his sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now, I'm going to pause here a minute just to pick on this. Because this, I'm trying to not get bogged down here, but this is just intense stuff. What is he saying here? It's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. Okay, I follow that. Don't, uh, just because you heard the lesson doesn't mean it does you any good. Just because you heard the word of God. No, it's, it's not, it's not for people who were the audience. It's for people who really hear it, who are really pursuing it. It's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. The, the Jews heard the law. They've been hearing it for 1,500 years. That does not free them from the penalty due unrighteousness. But it is, uh, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Are there any of those who obey the law? No, no, because look over here in 320, right after he draws his conclusion. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing law. Well, he can't be contradicting himself. So whatever you want to do with 213, don't make it contradict 320. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing law. I didn't say thee because thee's not in the original. It's just law. And in the, in the middle of that, Paul's going to say the law. Sometimes he'll say law. Sometimes he'll say the law. Well, every time he says the law, he's talking about the law of Moses. Number one, your English translations miss it occasionally. And number two, just because the word the is in front of it doesn't mean he's talking about the law of Moses. And number two, just because the is not in front of it doesn't mean that he's not talking about the law of Moses. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you. No, here's a look at 217. Here's an example of the latter. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, who would do that that wasn't? If you call yourself a Jew, what are they taking pride in? A name. Now, if you call yourself a Jew 
And if you rely on law, there's no the in the original. If you call yourself a Jew and if you rely on law, well, what law would he be talking about talking to Jews? What laws would they be bragging about? The law of Moses. He didn't say the law. He just said law. So when they translate it and they put the word the in there, okay, they're justified. Because he didn't use the article, but he is talking about the law of Moses. The context brings the word meaning. And so look for the context. You can't, you can't, well, I'm going to be more picky than God. No, you're not. So, um, oh, I was going over here. Come over here to Galatians 2.16. Here's the whole thing in one sentence, by the way. Law is one of our definitions, and I don't even remember if I finished putting it on the board this morning. But law, any legal system or code, sometimes it's law of Moses, sometimes it's God's law, sometimes it's just the principle. But law, here's the thing you know about law. It demands 100% perfect performance. It condemns the violator at the first infraction. This is not baseball, three strikes and you're out. When you're talking about righteousness and you're talking about law, it's one strike and sit down. You're condemned. It demands perfect performance. It it uh, cannot justify anybody. Law can't fix the problem. What's the problem? Unrighteousness. It's it's the inability of law as a thing. Law. Law cannot justify the sinner. It can't. Well, he said, whoever, whoever obeys the law is justified. Well, you can't take that as an axiom. Okay, Galatians 2, 16. Um. Well, we'll back up to 15. We who are, and he's in a very similar argument here, Galatians. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing law. The definite article is not in there. Uh, not, a, not justified by observing law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing law. Here's the clear statement. Because by observing law, no one will be justified. Now that's fact. So as he's describing this attitude of Nothing personal, but I'm just better than you. In 2, 1 to 16, Paul said, I don't care where you got that. When I got a finger pointing at Bill, how many are pointing at me? Three. So there's no case to be had there. Okay, come back over here to two, chapter 2 in Romans. So... Uh, Verse 14, indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have law 
do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law. You're, you're not, I don't care a Jew or a Gentile is not, the Jews wouldn't try to, but the Gentiles are not going to get out of this by saying, you know, we didn't know what was right and wrong. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Why? Because you never read the Bible at all, and yet when people steal your stuff, you throw them in jail. You're, you're all for defunding the police till somebody takes your stuff. You're all for everything's tolerated until somebody hurts you. You're all for whatever. No, when it comes down to it, you don't, you don't tolerate that. And, and that admission is an admission that you do too know there's right from wrong and there's a problem. If there wasn't a problem, people wouldn't be stealing stuff, lying, all those things, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, gossiping, slandering, God-hating, being insolent, arrogant, and boastful, inventing ways of doing evil, disobeying your parents, being, being arrogant and rude, and all those things, being senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. If there wasn't a problem, all that wouldn't be existing. And when you condemn the doing of those things and you can't even practice what you preach that just underlines the problem so nobody's getting off the hook here gentiles are not off the hook jews are not going to be off the hook even though they do not have the law since they show that the requirements of right and wrong the requirements of the law are written on their hearts their consciences bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing and now even defending them. If there's no difference between right and wrong, why is everybody making excuses? Trying to justify what they did. If there's no difference in right and wrong, why has everybody got something that they condemn in somebody else? And if all of that was doing any good, why would it not ever amount to anything? Because it hadn't amounted to anything yet. In regard to righteousness. This will take place on men, on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. So. How does this apply for us? It's to help us understand number one. He's making a case here. And I'm going to say again, because people read this out of context. I've heard them build sermons on it. I've heard them teach classes on it. Well, here we are. We're all slaves. Paul is not saying the church is a slave to sin. He's saying of your own, on your own, make your own standard, promote your own standard, condemn everybody who violates the standard. He said you hadn't touched righteousness yet. And the problem is unrighteousness. And everybody stands accountable. Don't tell me there's no right and wrong. You're throwing people in jail. Don't tell me it doesn't matter. It does too matter. Don't tell me that pointing out Jadon's sin elevates you to, mm -mm. no, no. 
evidently it's imperative for the church to understand this. I know it does, and it's not so disconcerting to me. Why? Because I spent 30 years studying all of Romans here, and I realize there's good news coming, but you got to let the bad news be the bad news. This right here is one of the reasons that I don't give up Jesus Christ. Because if you give up Jesus Christ, you can anytime you want to. You know what you just brought yourself back to? Point out wrong of everybody else and have three fingers coming back at you. There's no hope in that. There's no hope in that. God never, God didn't redeem us, save us, call us together and tell us to come together and damn other people and exalt ourselves. Not ever. My mama loved the Lord. She might not have been the greatest theologian, but she said, serious as all get out. Only one time in my whole life do I ever remember it. She looked me straight in the eye and she said, don't you ever make fun of anybody who believes in God. I've thought about that a lot over the years. That's a valuable thought. Why am I saying that to us? That's just because I've grown up in and around our brotherhood my whole life. Because I've been around more than one brother and one sister that have fallen prey to this. And they have satisfied, they think, the gospel's call with Correcting their worship and correcting the, the structure of the church and condemning every single person they can find that violates any of those things that are absolutely true that they pulled out of scripture. Brothers and sisters, that's not redemption. I'm not saying that what people do is wrong. Anybody that does something wrong, it's wrong. Should they stop it? Uh huh. Should they figure out what's right and start doing it? Uh huh. Where's all that start? Uh, with me, that's not Paul's discussion. Paul's discussion is when you're starting all this mess, you're not accomplishing righteousness. And we need to be in pursuit of that. Why? God paid the price to make it available. God didn't pay the price so Bill could earn his way into righteousness, so Bill could perform his way into righteousness. Unrighteous people can't do that. There's still arrows in the dirt from this morning's class. So he can make fun of me all he wants to, for I can't even get, I keep, my arrows keep falling off the bow, I don't even get to shoot them. That didn't, that didn't, Give him righteousness. So, I know all that's hard to take. Maybe I've spent too much time on it. But it's in the book, so we're going over it. Because it's going to be important for later on. And there may not be a person in here right now that's thirsty. Until I say what? All the water is 
gone. What? What? That's the nature of sinners, brother and sister. I'm not even hungry, Bill, until you say a little four-letter word. D-I-E-T. What? You see how we are? I just can't leave a lesson being all bad news. Your ability to discern right and wrong, know absolutely where you got it and what it means. That will come into play for God's call, but that's not God's call, brothers and sisters. His call is for you to come into his righteousness. Jesus paid the price to take his righteous performance and credit it to you. And this is part of, we got to have this before we get there, I guess. Because Paul didn't write this willy-nilly. He wrote it by inspiration. And I've counted the 20 several times and two comes before three through eight every time. It will help us in the end as we're dealing with people, realizing what we are calling people to. We're calling them to a person. His name is Jesus. We're calling them to a system of justification. We're calling them to an avenue where they can be made right with God. Not just sober up and straighten up. No, we're, pagans could teach you that. We're calling people to, to this, the call of the gospel, which is the revelation of God's righteousness afforded to sinners. So I'm praying that all this helps. I'm reminding you again and inviting you again as we're going through this. Please write down your questions. Please. I, I don't know everybody's questions. And, and it is arrogant to think that I can, I can say what you need to hear. You got an obligation to have dialogue. And so you gotta, you gotta give me your questions. And then I can help us understand, Lord willing, even better. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for being with us. For giving us the courage and giving us the faith to be vulnerable before your word. To know ahead of time, Father, that you didn't, you didn't appoint us, you didn't cleanse us, call us, cleanse us, justify us, 
and even Father in advance glorifies to have us understand that we're objects of wrath. And in Jesus Christ, Father, we are not. We are your children. We just need to be able to show our work to other people of how we got there. How did we come to the conclusion that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? How did we come to the conclusion that all men have an invitation from God to be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Jesus Christ? We need to learn these things, Father, so that we can articulate them to other people. So that we can, we can be encouraged and fortified. We never get too old to hear the gospel. We never heard it too many times. And this is, this is part of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has declared the sinful state of all men. Whatever they practice, whatever they know, whatever they do, they haven't solved their need for righteousness on their own and of themselves. And that makes everybody, Father, a candidate for your righteousness if they would but believe. If they would believe you're calling them to it. If they would believe your solution is adequate. If they would believe, Father, that your promises are true. They would take you up on it. Help us, help us, Father, as we seek to Understand these things. Some of them are hard to understand. Peter said that by inspiration, and it's true. But we can too understand it on some level. And it's true, Father, on every level. Be with us as we embrace it. Help us to understand it. Help it to bear fruit in our lives. Help us, Father, to be quick, to run to Jesus, to trust him, to look to him, to act like him. And help us, Father, to be slow in passing out judgment and condemnation. Help us, help us, Father. Help us to trust you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, for your people. Bless and guide us in your purpose for our lives. Bless us and guide us, Father, in any way that will bring you glory. We love you, Father. It's through Jesus that we pray these things now. Amen. The truth of the gospel is God can't love you more than he does. He loves you enough to give his son up for you. The truth of the matter is we're God's people and we're not perfect, but we are headed in this direction with God's help. And we would do anything, anytime to help anybody. How much more each other? You need our help. You need our encouragement tonight in a public way. Please let us know. You can let us know now while we stand and while we sing.